You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. On tonight's program, we bring you an interview with Jason Wallach from Surge, standing up for racial justice, giving us an update on what is happening at the border. We highlight a poem by poet and playwright Judith Offer. We also bring you an update on Puerto Rico, and local musician Monica Maria talks to us about the San Francisco Son Jarocho Festival happening in February, plus the calendar of events. La Raza Chronicles is produced by Julieta Kuznir, Nina Serrano, and myself, Brenda Yescas. Stay tuned. You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza, and today we have in the studio with us Jason Wallach. He is part of Surge, Standing Up for Racial Justice, and he has returned from a delegation to the border to find out more about what's happening, how things have shifted, and what we can do about it. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Julieta. So, Jason, first off, tell us what your experience was like. You went down with Surge. What did you see? What did you experience? Well, back in end of last year, 2019, um, I did have the pleasure and honor to travel with some showing up for racial justice comrades. And we went to Tijuana to work with an organization, a legal services group down there called Al Otro Lado, meaning the other side. Um, and this organization does some amazing work just supporting migrants and other folks who are on their journey to come to the United States to learn about what their legal resources are here in the U.S. We were able to be there for about five or seven days in their space, working directly with migrants, supporting them in their quest to, to move, to, to find a better life. Jason, so we hear that things are very tough. We sometimes see images in the news, but tell us what you saw and also tell us about some of the people you met. We were able to be in the Al Otro Lado space, working with migrant folks who are on their journey north. And my job was intake. So my job was basically to sit down across the table from folks, ask them a series of questions that would then be passed on to legal folks who are, you know, like lawyers uh, who could give official legal advice. Or a lot has been written or reported about migrants and what motivates them to leave their, their hometowns and what motivates them to move north. But I have to say that listening to people's stories directly in that way, sitting across the table, uh, definitely impacted me in ways that's different than any other ways that I had interacted with that. So meeting people and listening to their stories, a lot of stories of sexual violence, a lot of stories of, of sexual extortion from women, a lot of stories of um, gang extortion of young people and using all types of threats of violence. And then, of course, there was folks who that I spoke with that the threats were realized. So it, the threats became violent and resulted in people being killed, um, real relatives of the folks that I was speaking with. It, it was very impactful. And it motivates me and uh, everybody else who worked in that office to just come back and report on what we see help support this organization and also really just um, lend our voices to the larger struggle for immigrant rights in the United States. 
I'm speaking to Jason Wallach. He's with Surge, and he's talking to us about the work that Surge is doing to connect to this struggle to stand up and fight for more just immigration policy, for better treatment for people who are trying to enter this country, and also working with people that have found themselves within the detention centers, the huge webs of detention that we have in this country. So why don't you tell us about the ways that Surge has decided to take part in this work? Surge is an organization that does have a policy arm and does work to change some of that. I belong to a part of Surge that is called the Mobilization Committee. So we actually kind of focus more on direct service provision and direct contact with folks from affected communities, migrants themselves, basically. So in the Bay Area, what that means is meeting folks who are here and finding where folks are and making sure to the degree that we can that folks feel welcome here in this community. Um, the Bay Area has always you know, said that they were for sanctuary, passed legislation to indicate that, but a lot of times it's hard to, to, to find where the heart is in, that, in those proposals. Um, we're trying to deliver that heart and be the heart that uh, welcomes people to the Bay. Um, that's one thing. The other side of it is, you know, People need to go to the border to see in real life what's actually happening there. And folks who, have, who are familiar with border work or with familiar with migrant rights support will be surprised what you'll see at the border today if you've left that work for a while. The, the movement needs everyone at this moment, and there's a lot of need for many people to step up, and there's a lot of space for folks to step up. So I know there's an opportunity for people to find out more, hear directly from people who either have been involved in these migrant caravans, who have had experience at the border, or who are here and who have been involved in the detention center and now are here and getting either support from people or not getting support, but can speak to the many ways that there are so many hundreds of thousands of people impacted. And here in the Bay Area, you know, how people can actually step up. So why don't you tell us about this event and tell us about what people may experience there? Yeah, um, on February 8th, we are hosting an event which is going to highlight a lot of voices of folks who have spent recent time on the border, both in Tijuana, where, where I was, and also in Matamoros and Brownsville, along the Texas border with Mexico. And we're also going to hear directly from migrant folks who have, you know, weathered this entire process of the new, what we call the new normal along the border that has been imposed by the Trump administration through a series of administrative tweaks and also very just like brutal militarism that has been set up along the border. A lot of folks here in the Bay have negotiated the new hurdles that Trump has put up. And it's very important, I think, for folks to listen directly from the people that have, that have negotiated these hurdles and, and, and suffered through them to figure out how we can better assist folks in those positions and also how we can better prepare folks who are on the Mexican side of the border for what they're about to encounter. And that was a lot of the work that we did at Al Otro Lado. So on February 8th at the South Berkeley Senior Center, we are going to host an event around 7 o'clock, and we want to welcome everyone to that to be able to listen to these voices who are explaining the new normal at the border 
and how we can resist it directly. And I know that Surge has been a part of other ways with the faith community, et cetera, to think about how people can maybe even provide space within their home for people to be while they're in this process and different avenues. Will there be opportunities for people to kind of get more insight into ways they can plug in? Absolutely. This event is being co-sponsored and co-organized with the Arab Resource and Organizing Center, who is uh, basically leading the charge in the Bay Area around supporting Muslim migrants and Arab migrants to the Bay Area and resisting directly Trump's ban on you know, migration from Muslim-majority countries. Um, we're also working with the Interfaith Movement for Human Integrity, where Reverend Deb has been really working with migrant accompaniment teams and just working with different church and faith-based initiatives to create accompaniment teams for migrant folks who need support learning about the institutions and, and the support that they have here in the Bay. So these are folks who help folks um, jump the language barrier, teach people as simple things about how to use BART. Folks who come from rural areas don't know much about public transportation, but, you know, a couple rides and you got it down. Anybody who lives in the Bay has at least one skill that can be lent to this project. Um, And Deb and the folks at AROC are doing great work in helping bridge that gap. The other thing, too, is um, it, this, the event will, on February 8th will be a fundraiser for Al Otro Lado. You know, for those of us who had heard about the work of Al Otro Lado, um, we were very excited about it and really uh, kind of in awe of what we had heard. But then I, for myself, went down there and saw it firsthand. It was way, way more elaborate and more profound than I had even imagined, and I was expecting a lot. And so I just feel like at this moment, especially given the way things are going here in the United States and the fact that these policies are not going to be lifted anytime soon, uh, we really need to double down on our commitment to the migrants who are there and the ones that are still coming. Right now, today, and there is a caravan on its way, you know, piecemealing itself through Mexico, trying to figure out how to negotiate now these big cordons of police that the Mexican government, at the behest of the Trump administration, is hurling at migrants as they try to make their way north. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the ways that Al Otro Lado is intervening and providing support? It is deep. Every morning at 6.30, a little crew from Al Otro Lado goes out to this place called El Chaparral in Tijuana. El Chaparral is the actual gate the place where people cross from from Mexico into the United States and the United States into Mexico. At that spot, there is a line of migrants, people waiting in line, literally. And there's a number of people that hold a small notebook. That's paper, wire-bound notebook that has uh, literally like thousands of names of people listed in it, handwritten. Each one of those names is assigned a number. So the folks who run that notebook consult with the U.S. authorities every morning. And the U.S. authorities will come down and say, hey, we're going to call 10 numbers. Sometimes they call less. Sometimes they call more. Sometimes they don't call any. But uh, if your number is coming up, you have to be there when it's called or you go to the back of that thousands of thousands of person long line. So every morning, the staff of El Otro Lado goes down to the spot One, to just kind of check in with people they know, reinforce the things that they've been sharing with folks, the information. 
They have general flyers. They have flyers that invite people to come to their open clinic, which is open to anybody for free. And then they also um, kind of provide just basic information for folks. You know, they're gathering information from the authorities, and they're also working to figure out who's there, if any new migrants have come. So that's 6.30 in the morning. Later on, once they kind of like open their clinic, again, the clinic's open to anybody. They do a general kind of uh, orientation about U.S. immigration law, and they talk to people. These are folks that have come from everywhere. We're talking Central America, folks from Mexico proper, from different parts. And then there's also many migrants of African descent. So there's a lot of Haitian folks and a growing number of African folks coming mostly from Cameroon, but from some other spots too. Anybody who's there for the first time is given kind of this general orientation about the U.S., about U.S. immigration law. The orientation in itself is so chock full of information that most people in the U.S. wouldn't even know half of what's being shared. I learned a great deal just by going to the orientation. But you can imagine for somebody who's not familiar at all with the U.S. how critical and how important it is to have that shared. After that, there's a kind of a vetting process to figure out like who may be eligible for an asylum claim. So folks who are eligible for that are then offered an intake interview and some other stuff. So there's a number of different services that are provided there. And of course, in the same building as Al Otro Lado, there's many other things going on. So they might have a Haitian cultural night where Haitian drummers and dancers come and just have like a little community gathering. They might also have a free meal. Lots of stuff is going on. It's a bustling community. It's kind of an oasis of humanity and a sea of inhumanity. So you mentioned the new normal at the border, that, that there's been a lot of changes. And so if someone maybe 10 years ago was doing a lot of border work, what they see now will be very different. Give us some examples. When the Trump administration came into, into power, a lot of our attention was drawn to the presence of Stephen Miller and some of the other power players that Trump brought in, Steve Bannon, for example. We knew that due to their rhetoric, prior to entering the Trump administration, that they're pretty much white supremacist extremists who were looking to rework the entire system. And slowly but surely, that's what's been happening since 2016 when Trump got into office. Right now, there is a major attack on the asylum system writ large. And this goes all the way through the system from who are the judges judging, what rules are the judges who judge judging from, who gets to apply, under what circumstances do they apply. So you're seeing a narrowing of the scope of what qualifies for asylum, and you're also seeing a complete reworking of the adjudication side of it. Prior to Trump entering office, the chances of an asylum claim being successful were actually pretty low already. And now we're looking at some places in the U.S. where barely 1% or 2% of the claims are actually being approved of. And in some cases, the claims are being approved and the person is still being deported. As violence and other types of especially gang-related extortion are on the rise in Central America specifically, it's, it's just creating conditions that are untenable for everyday people. And that's why 
when you see folks at the border who have just been through so much in their lives and they're able to come to a place like Al Otro Lado where people will greet you with a smile, people will treat you like a human being, they'll have a conversation with you. It's, it's such a critical space to be in. We're looking at a wholesale rewriting of what took immigration lawyers you know, decades of precedent setting within the immigration courts, especially the asylum courts, but immigration courts more generally. All of that work is being completely smashed out by the Trump administration through these administrative measures. It's extremely concerning and it has lived impacts on the lives of migrant people who are seeking refuge, seeking to be safe and, and live life in a way that's productive for, for folks. That's the voice of Jason Wallach. He is talking to us about his recent trip to the border just a month or so ago, where he went down with other members of Surge here in the Bay Area who are also working to use their work here around racial justice, use it at the border to learn as much as they can about how to support people who are coming, who are stuck at the border, who are perhaps in detention centers, et cetera. And you can learn more at this event. So tell us again about the details. Where is it? What time is it? How do they go? On February 8th at the South Berkeley Senior Center, it's 2939 Ellis Street. It's a couple blocks away from Ashby Bart. Uh, the event is called All Are Welcome, Migrant Solidarity from the Border to the Bay, co-sponsored by Surge Bay Area, the Interfaith Movement for Human Integrity, and AROC. And we're welcoming everyone. And uh, for folks that do want to get involved, after a short panel discussion, which will feature legal service providers, migrant folks who have migrated to the United States, and recent volunteers who have volunteered on the border, there will be a working group session for folks to get involved and learn how you can apply your skills and abilities to support migrant people here in the Bay. And give us a little overview. What is SURGE? SURGE stands for Showing Up for Racial Justice. And it's a national organization that has many chapters all across the U.S. But it's mostly white folks who are really focused on organizing in majority white and white spaces around racial justice. So bringing the news that uh, folks like AROC, Black Lives Matter, and the immigrant rights struggles, our job is to take that information and make sure that white folks are informed and active and putting theory into practice around all of these great struggles that are happening. And how do people find out more about Surge and find out more about the event? You can simply go to Surge Bay Area online, search it out. And uh, Surge Bay Area does have a Facebook, and that's where you can find a good listing for All Our Welcome, Migrant Solidarity from the Border to the Bay, again, February 8th. And it'll have a much larger description of the event that we've been talking about. You can hit up Al Otro Lado right through via Facebook. Um, messaging them is something that will actually get you a response. That's the voice of Jason Wallach. We've been talking about this great event where people can find out more, not only what's happening at the border, but the many ways that you can show up and show up for immigrant justice and show up for more just immigration policy overall. So thank you so much, Jason, for including us in this process. We want to get the word out. Thanks, Julieta. This 
This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I chose the following poem for you today because we at La Raza Chronicles believe that this November's 2020 U.S. election will be a pivotal moment when, with our vote, we can help stop the fascist movement destroying Mother Earth, democracy, and freedom. This poem by poet-playwright Judith Offer entitled The Wall is from her new chapbook, The Grading of America, Poems for a Democracy, Ground Down. So the poem I wrote about it is called Wall or Nothing at All. Demagogue wannabe Drumpf is building a wall. He says he's putting it on our southern border, but the wall refuses to go south. Instead, as much as DWD swears and pounds tables, his concrete disconnector is snaking its way through our amber plains across our purple mountains. On one side gather the wee besters, proud of their white skin, their white culture, their guns, and their well-behaved, blue-veined women. On the other side are the people proud of their humanity, their wild variety, their roots, their hard work, and of each other. Atop his monument to discord and distortion, the great distractor sits with his TV and his tweets, his pale progeny and his congressional protectors, tossing off sacks of poisonous lies, broken agreements, gratuitous insults, and occasionally paper towels. He demands concrete and more concrete from his Congress, his federal employees, and his loyal citizens. His, all his, everyone his. Even those sitting in the ashes of burnt homes, in the stripped landscape of a tornado or a flood, or those who never voted for him, nor ever would, Wall or nothing at all, screeches DWD. Wall or nothing at all. You just heard Judith Offer reading from her new chapbook, The Grading of America, Poems for a Democracy Ground Down. Atrapear, 
a soltar la materia Esta vez no se nos va a escapar Traemos la pila y estamos armados Ahora solo nos queda brillar Vente pa' acá, asiento apartado Este ritmo la está retosando Agarra el vuelo muy fuerte voceando Para abajo lo vamos quebrando Para abajo lo vamos quebrando Locura que brota Para abajo lo vamos quebrando Para abajo lo vamos quebrando Locura que brota para abajo lo vamos quebrando Menea, menea la petaca pa' mí La petaca pa' mí Te bailo, sube a mover los terrenos Menea, menea la petaca pa' mí Menea, menea la petaca pa' mí La petaca pa' mí Te bailo, sube a mover los terrenos Menea, menea la petaca pa' mí Menea, menea la petaca pa' mí La petaca pa' mí Te bailo, sube a mover los terrenos Menea, menea la petaca pa' mí You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza, and today we have on the line with us Eli Jacobs Fantuzzi, he is speaking to us direct from the island, direct from Puerto Rico. He has been doing some work continuously, really, focusing since Hurricane Maria, of course, as people know, devastated the island, has led to dramatic effects in terms of infrastructure, and funding has never been really allocated to help with rebuilding, and which has led to even more schools and hospitals, etc., being shut down. The island has been reeling since Hurricane Maria, and of course, since before the man-made disaster, which are these horrible imperial policies that have led to Puerto Ricans having very little control about the future of their island with uh, Junta Fiscal, so uh, basically a outside group deciding what matters in Puerto Rico, and really what matters is what will line stockholders' pockets. So I have with me on the line Eli Jacobs Fantuzzi, who has is in Puerto Rico and can talk to us a little bit about what people are feeling and thinking now that we've had the hurricane, we've had all the work been done to rebuild, but then we've had 700 houses destroyed since these most recent earthquakes. We've had, you know, 20,000 people that don't have a place to live. As we all know, it's not like things were great after Maria. So, Eli, first off, you know, you have really been very committed. You're Puerto Rican. There are a lot of folks that I feel like are on the mainland that are, their hearts are on the island and they're constantly doing work back and forth and very connected. So first off, just let's take a step back and why don't you tell us, you started your work in terms of help with rebuilding and recovery right after the hurricane. So tell us that story. As many of you know, I consider myself from the Bay Area. Bay Area is a home for me and we were doing an exhibition of some of our art and our work around Puerto Rico. We had a project called Defend Puerto Rico, and we were doing that in Oakland, and we got the news about the hurricane, and so we decided to come down 
and help out and tell stories. And I ended up not leaving the island. So I've been living here on the island for over two and a half years now. And we just been rocked again with these earthquakes. And so, you know, the same work that we were doing storytelling before and continue to do, now we're doing around the earthquakes and what's happening in the southern part of Puerto Rico. How are people feeling? What is the feel on the ground with all of these quakes? Because it has been just nonstop. Things are so volatile and like people need to feel safe. And I don't think that's happening. So there's a lot of trauma. The schools aren't starting in time. So kids don't have things to do. And they've just been going through these earthquakes and they continue to go in through them. We just had one yesterday at 5.3. We've had a few today that are on the three-point uh, rector scale. And, yeah, I think people here just want a break from from disasters and want to try to construct their lives again. And like you said, it's not just a natural disaster, but the disaster of not getting the $8.5 billion, $8.5 billion that Puerto Rico currently has in the banks that like you said, is going to Wall Street and to the bondholders. And that's money that our people could use right now on the ground and to build infrastructures, to build up the schools, to have them be safe so that the kids could go back and learn. Um, and that's just one example of what people are fighting for on the ground today. Eli Jacobs-Fantuzzi, so you are talking to people. You're actually doing your work as someone who tells stories through different mediums. You've used all kinds of mediums, but film is really one of your... Uh, main storytelling mediums, and you're talking to all kinds of people, and we recently got the news of this warehouse filled with supplies from Maria that was never passed out. So when people are confronted with things like this, uh, you're, you're talking about the desperation and also just the, you know, the fear that people are feeling. What are ways that people are organizing, or what are things that you're hearing in terms of ways of dealing with the the many ways they're being let down by their the U.S. government as well as the local government? Um, one of the ways that people have been organizing is on the street and, and letting the government know that we're not going to stand for it. So after the corruption that we saw from Hurricane Maria and after the chats that were leaked from the governor at the time, Ricky Rosselló, people marched. There was a national strike and we not only took him out of power, but also the second in command, because they were all in cahoots together. They put in Wanda Vasquez as the governor, but we all knew that she was part of that same crew as well. And with these earthquakes and finding these Artemisen, these warehouses full of supplies, there was a, recently a national strike and people took to the Capitol building and to the Calle Fortaleza, which is called the Resistance Street now, and let her know that we want her to renounce and that we cannot and will not stand for corruption anymore. Eli, I think that one thing that's been really beautiful about the work that you, along with many other people, are doing is you're showing the beauty and also the humor and also just the fire with which the Puerto Rican people are rising up, are doing the best they can to create accountability. 
So even in these really difficult moments, you know, people are coming together and are really just, you know, with creative chants, with, you know, interesting modes of protest, you know, with all kinds of things, they are showing that this is not going to be okay. It's not going to be business as usual. In terms of the resistance right now, after the earthquake, we have been showing up in different ways. I love the art that's being passed around on social media. I love to see people protesting peacefully in the streets. I also love to see the radical folks doing what they need to do to turn heads and making sure that their voice is heard. But right now, I see a lot of people being creative in terms of a response of getting people's needs met. And so what that looks like is sociologists and social workers coming and doing workshops for the kids, helping them draw and talk through what happened during the earthquakes. Where were they? How did they feel to let that out and, and start the healing process? Something that we started is Cine Solar Rodante. After Hurricane Maria, we were bringing movies to all the towns that didn't have light and just be able to have some time together and see a movie and and talk afterwards and bring community together. So we've been doing that now after the earthquake and it's had a wonderful response to be able to see kids laugh and enjoy a movie and share drinks, juice and popcorn. So there's a lot of creativity. These pop-up tents, health clinics, getting people medicine that they need. Because the government is not doing what they need to do, people have stepped up in amazing and creative ways. So why don't you tell us, Eli, about the organization you're a part of and the many different ways that people can step up? Thank you. I, I want to remind you that we are not separate. We are one people. We need the Puerto Rican diaspora and all the allies right now to help lift the voice of what's happening in Puerto Rico to spread what's happening and, and connect it to colonialism and let people know you know, these are nasty disasters that have occurred that been happening in Puerto Rico, but the way they're playing out now is because of colonialism, is because of illegal laws that our people are faced with here on the island. So when you're talking about what's happening in Puerto Rico, please remember to connect it back to Puerto Rico being a colony. And if you want to donate financially and you have the means to do that, I say please donate to the Maria Fund which is mariafund.org. They are on the ground and supporting the groups on the ground doing the work that need to get done. And Defend Puerto Rico, we're, we're telling stories and we're fitting in where we can. We're doing Cine Solar. We have a series of five different videos coming out soon about different themes that the people are affected by most after the earthquakes. So please stay in tune with us. And yes, we need you. We need each other. And we need these stories to get told and uplift each other. So I want to thank the Bay Area. I want to thank KPFA. Julieta, thank you. And it's an honor to be here once again, to, to be here for my people in the time of need and to be in a position where I believe we can all help. People, when they hear Puerto Rico in the news, they may not realize that what's happening right now is further exasperating the crisis that has been ongoing. Tell us about the urgency of the situation. What's happening in Puerto Rico is super urgent. People are talking about the earthquake as if it was one that happened and it's something of the past. I want to let people know that the earthquakes are still happening and happening every day. And the people are suffering. The people are living 
many without a roof over their head. Even the people that have houses and a roof are sleeping outside because they don't feel safe to sleep inside their houses. The government has failed miserably to have these people feel safe. Just yesterday in Campamentos, in the tents, there was a rainstorm, and so those tents flooded. So just imagine elders in their beds connected to medical machinery and getting treated now in a flooded area. And that happened in Yauco, Puerto Rico. So we're in urgent times and we need an urgent response. And what we're saying is that the government continues to fail us and we need people to step in where the government has failed. And by people, that means here on the island, Puerto Ricans have done an amazing job of getting to the South and helping how they can. But we need the diaspora, we need all of you, the allies, to step in and help how you can. Again, can you tell us, Eli, how do people connect? What are the best ways to not just support in all the ways they can and should, but also to stay informed? Because as you know, it's really tough to get perspectives from Puerto Ricans themselves. The Boricua perspective is kind of hidden. It's more this glossed over, uh, digested, kind of repurposed view if you just Google Puerto Rico. So where do people get solid news hearing voices from people on the island themselves? And how can people stay connected to the work you are doing? Thank you so much for framing that. You're already, as listeners at KPFA, turned into real news and, and what's happening. Find Puerto Ricans that are telling the story. MariaFund.org has a list of organizations. Find them on their website and their social media and follow them and, and listen to the stories that they're telling. Our project is called Defend Puerto Rico. You can find us on all social media platforms and listen to the people. Don't don't just go with the everyday news. Hear what's happening on the ground. Plug in and help how you can. I think if you have connections on the island to, to help those smaller projects are so important because that's how we're helping people directly right now. And then if you want to contribute to bigger organizations, like I said, MariaFun.org is a great one because they're on the ground and helping those who are doing the work on the ground. Muchísimas gracias, Eli, por estar aquí con nosotros. Thank you so much for your continuous work. And we look forward to keep checking back in to hear about all the ways that people on the island and off the island are standing up against imperialist policies and standing up against these colonial practices that have set us up for this response to disaster, which has been a disaster. So thank you so much for all your work. Y estaremos en contacto. Thank you so much. It's always an honor and a pleasure. Que viva Puerto Rico Libre and long live KPFA. Thank you.
listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm Brenda Yescas, and on the line with me tonight, I have the great vocalist, Bay Area vocalist, Monica Maria. And she's going to tell us a little bit about the 8th annual Son Jarocho Festival coming to the Brava Theater in San Francisco from February 5th through the 9th. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles, Monica. Hello, thank you. So I'm super excited to talk to you about this festival now in its eighth year happening at the Brava Theater. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what Son Jarocho is and also a little bit about the full days of the, of the festival because it's going on from February 5th through the 9th. Can you tell us a little bit about the different days of the festival and what can we expect? Yeah, of course. So it's going to start out the first day. It's a celebration for a book called Del Campo Son. And then on Thursday, there's going to be workshops, talleres uh, at La Peña in Berkeley, and where you can go learn zapateado and harana. And on Friday, there'll be a fandango, which is the traditional setting for Son Jarocho, where there's a tarima, wooden platform in the middle, and then everybody who has Son Jarocho instruments can bring their instruments. And um, it's, it's kind of a big jam party. Uh, and there's call and response singing, and you can come if you don't play and just listen, and there's food. So that will be the fandango on Friday. Highly suggest coming to that. That's from 6 to 11. And then Saturday is uh, the concert where I'll be performing. I'll be opening for Rubio Ceguera and her group Quebranto. Then on Sunday, there will be more workshops, talleres, and those will be at Brava, uh, where various musicians from both groups will be teaching. Um, I'll be teaching canto or singing, and we'll be exploring some vocal technique and then how to uh, do some improvisation variations on melody. And Ruby will be teaching zapateado, of course, and then there'll be various other instruments like harana, quijada, uh, leona, and others. So it's a lot going on, just a few days. And let's backtrack a little bit. What is Son Jarocho? And I know that Rubio Ceguera, she's coming straight from Veracruz, and you talked a little bit about zapateado and all the different instruments that, that are going to be played at the festival. But can you tell our listeners what is Son Jarocho? Well, Son Jarocho is a traditional genre of music from the south of Veracruz, Mexico. And it's, it's a couple hundred years old, but it's also very present now. And it's uh, seems to be really growing and the community here has been growing for some time and it's a very communal genre I would say the instruments are particular to the genre as well so when I say requinto or guitarra de son that's an instrument that is melodic and you play it with a pick and it just focuses on melodies and there's the harana which is kind of um, it's tuned like a ukulele, but it, it's it's not exactly like a ukulele, but it's more like the rhythm guitar um, function of the genre. And then there's a leona that I mentioned, and that's like the bass instrument of the genre. And that's also played with a pick or an espiga, which is made out of a bullhorn. It's really amazing. That's one of my favorite instruments. Um, the quijada is made out of a horse or a donkey jaw, and the sound is made by scraping a stick on the teeth and hitting it, so the teeth rattle. Uh, the tarima, <clears throat> excuse me, the tarima is a wooden platform 
that I mentioned that goes in the middle of the circle at a fandango, and that's where people dance and they uh, wear shoes with heels so that it's a percussive dance. It's kind of, um, it's, it's not, I mean, it's relative to tap dancing, but um, it's, um, yeah, there's dancing and tap multiple people on the tarima at a time. And yeah, that's, I mean, there's a lot, but definitely coming to like the fandango in the show, you'll get, get a really good idea of it. You are one of the main headliners for the live concert on Saturday. So tell us a little bit about you. I know that you just recently came out with a new album. So tell us our listeners about the album and how does Son Jarocho, how does the Son Jarocho sound affect the sound of your album? Um, I, yes, I'm, I've just, I sort of pre-released my album on my website and it is going to be out on all digital platforms on Valentine's Day on the 14th. And I will have, um, the first line of hard copies available also at the festival. Um, I would say, yeah, I started playing Harana some maybe seven years ago, and or son in general. And as soon as I started playing it, it just really became uh, more of the focus of the of the traditional genres that I play. And it just really integrated itself into my songwriting. So a lot of the most of the songs I write now, I use harana. A lot of the instrumentation on the album. Um, I'm working on the album with Jeronimo Gonzalez of of Jalapa, and he lives in Mexico City and works with Sonex and lots of other projects. And he's just really incredible and multi instrumentalist. So he's playing requinto and bass on the album and some other things. And so the songs, even though I grew up here in California and uh, grew up listening to like rock and folk and country and R&B. And those elements you can feel as well on the album. A lot of the rhythms and instrumentation um, has been influenced heavily by Son Harocho. What's the name of your album? Oh, Nuevos Caminos. And you're for originally from the Bay Area, right? I am. I grew up in Lodi, and I've been in the Bay Area for about 17 years. So I want to give everyone a little bit of a taste of what they can expect to hear at the Son Jarocho Festival. I want to play a song from your new album, Nuevos Caminos. Can you tell us about the song we're going to play and a little bit of background? Sure. I would um, say Tu Canto is a song that's an original song, but in the middle, it, it go transitions into a Son Jarocho called Olas del Mar one of my favorite sones, and then it goes back into Tu Canto and ends. And this is one of the songs that has more son jarocho in it. The whole album is original music, um, but this song actually goes into a son jarocho, and there's guest musicians on there playing Leona and singing and playing Quijada. And, yeah, I think it would be a really good general example of, of the music and also we'll be playing it at the festival. Hecho de viento tu alma y yo soy hecho de agua en nuestro amor vienen olas que bailan junto a la luna 
that's a, just a little taste of what you all can expect at the 8th Annual Son Jarocho Festival in San Francisco. Um, you've been listening to the local Bay Area artist, Monica Maria. And she's been talking to us all about the festival and what we all can expect. Monica, where can our listeners find out more information about the festival and also a little bit about you? Uh, you can go to bravo.org, and they have right on that first page, you can click on the link for the 8th Annual San Francisco Son Jarocho Festival. And for me, my website is monicamariamusic.com. And there you have all the links for Instagram and Facebook and stuff. Before we, we started talking, you were... You were showcasing a little bit about your spoken word. Do you want to leave us with a l- one of your spoken word pieces? Sure, I would love to. If we are all pieces of the same source, then the peace we seek lies in the peace we need to be. We're all on the same course. This isn't a race. It's all relative, this pace. There's no way to win in a world of separation. Self-inflation, excessive categorization. If one is ahead... That means someone else is behind, and while that's just not really winning, I find the only way for us to win this game is for each one of us to realize we're all inherently the same. Just different expressions, reflections, perceptions, but you are who I would even be if I were you. If you find that you're hiding, if you're fighting, if you're biting your tongue, trying to lie to yourself that life is fun, then there's a piece of you just waiting to be switched on. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean that it's gone. And even if you're scared, it doesn't mean that you're wrong. Every bolt, every screw, blade of grass, grain of sand makes a beach, makes a park, makes the phone in your hand. But you wouldn't use a grain of sand for water or food. So why would you use your life to be anyone but you? It's when we're all flowing and at our own pace that everything else can fall into its place. Thank you, Monica Maria, for being on La Raza Chronicles. Yes, and thank you so much for having me, Brenda. You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza, and this is the calendar of Cultura y Arte for the Bay Area. From January 29th to February 2nd, Living Word Project presents in association with Campo Santo, Translating Selena, a new play by Richard Montoya for Campo Santo. Translating Selena is an examination of many things, a by-the-book procedural in drag. How else can we grapple with a superstar who pushed boundaries of musical styles and her own sexuality? This is at the Brava Theater, 2781 24th Street in San Francisco. The event is wheelchair accessible. For more information, go to brava.org. From now till February 9th, Dance Brigade is pleased to announce its latest evening-length dance work, Butterfly Effect, which takes on the climate crisis. Created and directed by Chrissy Kiefer, the title is a nod to the idea that small actions can have far-reaching consequences. With eight dancers and six drummers, this large-scale project will wind through the studios inside Dance Mission Theater, immersing the audience in three distinct worlds. This is at Dance Mission Theater, 3316 24th Street in San Francisco. 
For tickets and information, go to dancemissiontheater.org. For Saturday, February 1st, World Latin Fusion Party, with some of the hottest live bands in the Bay Area, Macru, Calmao, and DJ Izzy Wise. Traditional Colombian and Caribbean sounds, with new soul, hip-hop, funk, Latin jazz, Spanish, rumba, reggae, ska, and Turkish. This is at the Brick and Mortar Music Hall, 1710 Mission Street in San Francisco. And the event is wheelchair accessible. Brickandmortarmusic.com And from February 5th through the 9th, explore the folkloric music style of Veracruz, Mexico during a week-long festival of live music, community fandango, workshops with master artists, and book release party when Brava presents the 8th annual San Francisco Son Jarocho Festival featuring Ruby Oseguera y La Techa Productions from Mexico with opening Bay Area artist Monica Maria. This is at the Brava Theater. 2781 24th Street in San Francisco. The event is wheelchair accessible. Brava.org for more information. And that was the calendar of events, cultura, y arte for the Bay Area. If you have events you would like to add to the calendar, email us at larrazachronicles at kpfa.org. You've been listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. If you'd like to stay up on our news, like us on Facebook, at La Raza Chronicles on Facebook. If you want to hear this program or share it with a friend, you can go to soundcloud.com slash La Raza Chronicles and share it. If you have any ideas for interviews we should be doing or would like to get involved with our collective, you can email us at La Raza Chronicles at kpfa.org. Muchísimas gracias y buenas noches. Thank you.